0: So much for tuning in. It is Tuesday, September the 3rd, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're out there on the West Coast and you are tuning in live, kudos to you. Um waking up early, seizing the day, making it yours. So thanks for tuning into the show. Um, really do appreciate it. Hope everyone had a great Labor Day weekend, we are back. Uh, we we took uh, Labor Day off as well and um, are, are happy to be back. A lot going on this weekend. Um, In the world of sport, not just uh, the global game of football or soccer, as we call it here in the US, but a lot of things going on. The US Open uh, is in full swing. Um, The the tennis tournament in New York every summer is just uh, great theater. I love Wimbledon. I love the French Open. The Australian Open's really cool, uh, but there's something I- I about the U.S. Open. It's 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 hard to describe, um, but the the environment there in New York, it, it almost feels like the tennis players become rock stars, and uh, and last night was no exception. Rafi, Raf, Rafa Nadal, who is my favorite tennis player. Um, was just electric last night, hitting some amazing shots. Just had a really, really incredible night, and uh, it was fun to watch. And um, you know, it, it it was great theater. It was great competition. Um, and and the player he was playing against, Silich was was not having a bad night. Just roughing a doll it was just next level. Um, if he plays like that, he, he's going to win the U S open, um, on Sunday, we shall see. Uh, but, uh, that, that was really, really cool. Another thing that, that, that took place, uh, this weekend and, you know, it, it really had kicked off the weekend before, but this was the first kind of full weekend of college football. And, um, you know, there a lot of people that I know just waiting for this day um th- this is kind of what what kicks kicks off their sporting calendar every year is this weekend with college football and um you know a lot of games a lot of excitement um one of the stories from from this weekend that i think was was really fun to watch was Jalen Hurts? Uh, he was a quarterback at the University of Alabama. Uh, first two years as a starter, lost his job last year to to Tua uh, Tua Tagovailoa. I believe that's how, how you say his last name. And um, and and so he he graduates from Alabama, does a graduate transfer to Oklahoma, gets the starting job there. And had a great weekend, and and you saw all the Bama fans rooting for him, cheering for him. Um, the, the guy was a class act at Alabama, and uh, and and so they're they're happy to see him having success. There were a lot of people within the fan base who understood the decision to go with Tua, but they, they love Jalen hurts as well. And, uh, and so he's got a bunch of, of fans rooting for him, which, which is, a, which is a sporting story in and of itself, because there are a lot of times where people, athletes will, you know, look to leave one team to go to another, or whatever. And to have the admiration of a fan base like that, uh, who, who, you know, is leaving, um, but left, you know, in a way where he could he could always walk back on to the campus at Alabama uh, as one of them. He didn't leave uh, in in a bad way. He, he left in a way where you know he he could um, walk on to that campus and he's going to be cherished and beloved. Um, you know. For the rest of his life, and uh, and so to see that sporting story was pretty cool, and and one of the things with college football that uh, you know I, I found a little fascinating uh, about this weekend, uh, there's a lot of um, of you know talk in the broadcast about this being the hundred and fiftieth anniversary of college football. And uh, they were marking it on the field and they were, you know, celebrating uh, 150 years of college football. And uh, it, it reminded me of a piece by Glenn Crooks, uh, who, who wrote this uh, last week, talking about how college soccer should be celebrating its 150th anniversary along with college football. But the, when you read this, it, it actually feels like it, it should be instead of college football um and and the reason for this is that um the the game that everyone celebrates as the origin of college football uh was was actually if you read the descriptions and glenn does a really good job uh painting this picture here uh on november 6 1869 Rutgers University defeated Princeton University 6-4 in what is widely known as the first intercollegiate football game. To honor that day, there's a nationwide celebration to commemorate the 150th anniversary of college football. Visitors to the National Soccer Hall of Fame in Frisco, Texas will see a posting from the U.S. Soccer Archives that reads, First Match... On November 6, 1869, Princeton and Rutgers Universities met in the nation's first formal college soccer match. There were not two games on that day. It's the same game. And there's quite a bit of debate as to what type of game it was. This is uh, Tom McCabe, who um, quoting in this article on Pro Soccer USA. So when you start to go through... The details. There were no photographs of the game. There's obviously no video of the game. There are some pictures in, in of the game, and there are um, commentaries uh, about the game. Things that were written about the game, uh, news articles, etc. And uh, when you read through um, the the descriptions you come to realize that they're not talking about what we call American football. They're actually talking about college soccer. Now this is a really cool uh, story. Uh, McCabe went on to say that no throwing or running with a round inflated ball would be allowed as either would constitute a foul. The players move this ball forward with all parts of their body, but they mostly use their feet to maneuver towards the opponent's goal. One person who was there described it as frantic kicking So when you when you when you hear that you you're going that's that doesn't sound like the college football we know today it sounds like soccer association football one painting looks an awful like a lot like soccer because there's somebody kicking the, bu- the ball McCabe said and then you look in the background there are two posts and a crossbar tied across the top and it looks like a goaltender in front so when you go through and you you, you read these details and then you look at this painting it's, it, it starts to become clearer and clearer it's not even debatable when you look at the actual facts this is one of those myths that have, have been accepted as, as, as historical fact. When, when you actually look into the details, college football is not celebrating this 150, 150th year. should be college soccer. In every game, the cool goaltender saved the Rutgers goal half a dozen times. This is the Rutgers student paper. It's still published today, and this was this was published in 1869. To sum up, Princeton had the most muscle but didn't kick very well. The, they evidently don't like to kick the ball on the ground. Our men, on the other hand, though comparatively weak, ran well and kicked well throughout, but their great point was the organization, for which great praise is due to the captain. So you can see that there's a, a soccer terminology, uh, goal goal. Tinder is is what they're using to describe this uh, modern day we call a goalkeeper and uh, kicking the ball on the ground. McCabe also referenced a book written by a former meteorologist from North Carolina, Melvin Smith, who who wrote a book called Early American Football through eighteen ninety one. When I turn to page 53 on the 1869 season, the College of New Jersey, which is Princeton, and Rutgers split two games of association football, which is where the name soccer comes from. If you're wondering in America, why do we call it soccer? In November of 1869, by his classification system, Melvin Smith calls this a soccer game. So 150 years of college football is actually... 150 Years of College Soccer. This article is a really good read. I, I would encourage you to go read it. It, it goes through, um, you know, where the rules come from. Uh, England is involved. Chelsea's football Brit, uh, ground, Stamford Bridge, uh, is a part of this conversation. Um, and in and, and talking through, um, you know, the, the, the rules of the game, and um you know it's not until uh about ten or, or more years later that things start to get defined into what we know today as college football which if we're if we're going to look at a hundred and fifty years, it wouldn't be two thousand nineteen. we probably should be basing that off of the the year eighteen eighty two which would be in 13 years we would be celebrating the actual 150th anniversary of college football. So, um, you know... When you when you when, when we we looked through this fascinating article, it, it's really um, cool to see, uh, and and also for for anyone out there who is uh, you know of the belief that uh, you know that soccer is new or it's it's a growing sport or it hasn't been around as long as the rest, the facts are it's actually been around longer than the most. It's actually been a part of the lexicon of American sport since 1869, the first official match, which means that for it to have been played as an official match in 1869, a version of that was being played already. For that to be officially organized uh, and, and put together in an actual sporting competition, it was taking place before 1869. But in an official way, 1869... Princeton and Rutgers played. So we look at all of these aspects and these elements and, and then you think back to what do people say about soccer in this country? What do they say? They, they say, look, it hasn't been around long enough. It, um, you know, it, it needs more time to grow, you know, College football, American football, uh, NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, they are they're more established, they've been around longer. this game is new. But again, that's all a myth. It's a myth. What we know as soccer today has been around longer than what we call American football. It's been around longer than basketball. So why are we not having conversations about American soccer being as big as the NFL or as big as the NBA or as big as Major League Baseball? And this is the this is the crux of the situation. This is where where we find ourselves go, going to have to, to to do real introspection and to figure out why that isn't the case. You have to be willing to ask yourself questions that you may not want to hear the answers to. You may not want to to, to really consider. And you may not enjoy that. However, if we want to figure out how to get better, we have to, we have to, to consider those questions. Why is American soccer not bigger than it is? Why is college football American style football? with an egg-shaped ball, why is it so organized and, and handled so much better? Why, why are other sports like the NBA so much better? The, the NBA basketball has been around a lot uh, less in terms of, uh, of time than soccer. So why, why are we not there? And the answer is found in people. meaning leadership for whatever reason the game of soccer has been ha, ha, has not been able to reach the level that is possible because of the leaders of the sport and it goes back to the ultimate leader of the sport which is the U.S. Soccer Federation. The Federation, for decades upon decades upon decades, has had some of the poorest leadership in American sport. That's a fact. And the reason why that is a fact is because you have to look at where the game is in comparison to other sports. And when you do that and you take an honest look at it, you you would not say that the game of soccer has reached levels anywhere near the prominence of American football, basketball, baseball, or hockey. So when we when we take an honest look at it. We have to then look in the mirror and say, what are we doing today that is going to elevate the status of American soccer in a bigger way, in a bolder way? One of the big problems that I, that I see when I talk to people about problem solving, running a business, leading an organization, is when you, when you start to have these conversations about figuring out what are we doing, how can we make it better— Too many people approach their problems and their solutions from where they are right now. Meaning, they put more importance, more value on the present rather than where they want to go. So, if... I want to take my organization and make them the best in the country. And I want to make my sport that I govern the best that it could be. Instead of being crippled by what we've done in the past or the realities of our present. We acknowledge both of those, but we place our focus and our priority on where we want to go. Where do we want to be? And if we want to be the preeminent sport in America, then everything has to be put on the table for evaluation. Meaning our professional league standards, how we govern soccer in this country, how we... Sanction organizations in this country to govern soccer in this country, how we register players, how we license coaches, everything has to be put on the table and not with, with this, uh um, this pretense of well, you know, we have to take into a f- account wh- where everybody is and, and and what everybody's done, and 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 these are the realities of where we are, and so we got to figure out how to, you know, fit a you know a square peg in a round hole. When you do that, number one, you, you're not likely to ever achieve your objective, and number two the progress towards that objective even though you may not reach it, it's going to be very, 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 very slow because you are more concerned with what you've done or what you're doing than where you want to go so when you're trying to solve a problem one of the exercises I, I, I coach people in when I talk, talk to them about this is if you were starting from scratch what would you do? If you didn't have to take into account anything going on today or anything you've done in the past, money you've invested, time you've put in, the realities of people you've hired, whatever the case may be, if you didn't have any of those things to deal with, and you just wanted to to start from scratch, knowing what you know now and knowing where you want to go, what would you do? And then you make that plan and you work from the solution end and work your way back towards the, the, the realities and the problems of the present to figure out what can be fixed and what has to be discarded. When you work on solving the problem from the problem end of the equation, then the solution is an amiable goal but you're more focused on trying to not upset too much of what's going on right now but when we look at american soccer we need disruptive change and we need it badly and we're going to get back to that uh, later on in the show about what what does that look like and go back and compare a little bit of what we saw this past weekend with uh, American football uh, in the in the kickoff of, of college football all around this country and why it's working so well and what are the, the principles at play and why that matters for American soccer. But uh, before we before we get back to that, our our sponsor this half hour is ductic Brand D U K T I G Brand You can use the promo code DW Show to receive ten percent. Off of your order. Uh, they are the makers of really cool products, and uh, you should check them out if you're a coach, if you are a player, if you are a goalkeeper, a parent. There's, there are things for you there at ductigbrand.com, D U K T I G brand.com. Use promo code D W SHOW to get 10% off of your order. We are uh, going to be joined after the break with, uh, with Morten Eskison. He is the manager of FC Helsinger, and uh, he's the uh, the final interview in our series of interviews with the coach, staff, and players of FC Helsingor in Denmark. And I uh, hope you enjoy the interview. And uh, after his interview, we will be back to uh, get back into this and figure out What we're doing and how we can get better. Thanks for for joining us on the show. It is Tuesday, September the 3rd. We'll be right back after this. and kind of let us know you know where you're from yeah of course Yeah, my name is Morten Eskesson and I'm a head coach in the
1: FC Hilsenøer before that I was in the, the Superliga as an assistant coach for a club called Runders. and I've been in some different clubs and I'm a former player too so um, yeah now I'm here to get Hilsenøer up to the first division because they've been losing for for two seasons they're going down so now we have to make a turnover and uh, let them come up to 1st Division again, so yeah, and then, um, I've been, here for, been training for 3 weeks now,
2: yeah.
0: So as a player, what was your career like? Uh, w- what was your position?
2: You know, Where did you play on the field? And what yeah. was your experience like? Yeah, my, was I was uh, uh, now I'm just again. again. It was one of the best teams in Denmark when
1: I played there. I was a young player. I played there for two years and uh, I was not I was not in the start eleven uh, but I was in, in, in the club I have some games of course. Then I moved to a, a club called Hefølje. Uh, now it's called H.B. Uh, and I played there for, in the first division for three and a half years and then I went to Kö, who is uh, Hefølje. Clubs. At that time, there is now a one club, and I played there for eleven uh, years. And it was in, the, it's called Denmark, and it's, it was the third league. Uh, so I went a couple steps down, and then I moved up to the second division, to first division, and then to the Superliga. So I was there as a, as a captain for eleven years, and uh, most of my career I was playing in, in the first division. But uh, I, have, I stopped when I was uh, thirty-five. I stopped my my body. I to, to, to play and uh, then I got the director for the club afterward.
0: So talk so, top, I played a center uh, defense yeah. center defense. Talk about your uh, transition into coaching. Uh, w- when did that interest begin for you? After I was starting as a third
1: five player, I, I got a director for the club and I was there for two years and then it was a meeting to, uh, to not to be a player, but I, I want to be a coach. So I was starting uh, coaching a second division team, um, and so it was two years after my uh, I was stopped. I started to to coach a second division team like his nerd is now. So that's I think 14 years ago. And then I just uh, starting to to be a coach, and uh, at the same time I was working at a debut as a coach educator. I've been done that for 14 years too. So it was the beginning, and then I was uh, for almost five years in second division, and then I took. That I want to, to make a career not in football because my, my kids was at that time the 17 and 18, so I wanted to, to be home to them for a couple of years.
2: I was leaving the family, the, going for themselves, and I was playing for 11 years. I played at the Amateur Club, and after that, I want to go into. To
1: and then uh, Randers called me two years ago to come over and help them because they've got a bad start for the season and then they need, they, they need another guy for assistant season coach. Um, and I have a profile like everybody else have a profile and uh, I'm, I'm very strong in mental work. I've been uh, working with that for, for many, many years uh, also with my own company. So uh, that was why I was there and we were working with profile analyzers for the, whole, for the players, for the uh, coaching staff all the uh, but I always want to be a head coach again, because I've been head coach for yeah 12 years and then two years assistant coach, so
0: I was waiting to work at the club again. So can you describe for our audience the league system in Denmark. You've mentioned first division, second division, Superliga. Yeah. yeah. How do the leagues rank here? Yeah. At, you don't have to go all the way down no, to no, the, no, the no, bottom no. of the pyramid, but yeah. the, the first few levels. Yeah, we have uh, the Superliga, where FC Helsingør
1: was for two years ago. So we have the Superliga, and under that we have the first division, and then we have the second division. So in Denmark, is the Superliga? Everybody is a professional
2: with the first division but it is a professional maybe 2-3 teams are part time but almost
1: are full time and then the second division like Helsenøer uh, none of the team are full time uh, professional but Helsenøer is one of the team who have the best setup because they are just going from first division to second division so they are keeping this structure and uh, going hard for, to come up again but uh, first division where we are trying to get up is uh, full time professional
0: in the history of this club, has it had uh, an extended amount of time in the Superliga or has it primarily been a first division club? It had been a second division club for many
1: years, then they got in the first division and suddenly they went up and uh, they went out the first year and after that, who was last season, they went down again So it has been a team who had been in second division, good, very good second division team, very good first division team but in my opinion, got up too early because they went out and they didn't know anything about to be in the Super Liga. It's a big, big difference to be in the Super League. It's a very, very difficult job, and the organization was not ready for that. So they went down to the first division, and then I think a lot of the players thought they were too good to play in the first division because they were just played the Super League, and then they went out of the, the first division. Then it was a big, big. Uh, price for everybody, because people are thinking, okay, job just playing the Superliga, they went down, they're okay, maybe they'll go up again, and then they went down to second
0: division, so the, the club here belongs in, in first division, no doubt about that. Now, uh, when you're looking at your players for, for the team this year, and in the conversations as a coach, manager, with, with your players, what kind of players are you looking for, for this team to help get this club back up into the first division? I need uh,
1: players who know uh, some routines, some older players who know what it's all about, who have played in the first division or played in the And then we need some young players who uh,
2: want to learn, who wants to, to come and, and help us. So it's some old some players they want to be here. years ago and now you play in the second division. It's a
1: big, big uh, difference. In Super League, maybe there are some games uh, 20,000 people and now there's maybe uh, 500 sometimes. So it's a big, big difference for the
2: players and the uh, big mentor to, to, be, uh, to play here because players think they're good to play in the second division. So for me it's most important that players want to be here. I want to be a part
1: of the uh, and that's why somebody, I've said that not scoop should be playing here, because they think they're too good to play here. And you know, uh, then I said that you don't have to be here. Hard work comes first, and then uh, I think
0: we win a lot of games, but you, you have to, to be here. Well, good luck with your season, and thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, you too.
2: No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly
0: back into the show thanks for tuning in this tuesday september the third i'd like to thank morton for uh joining us spending a few minutes with us that was right before a uh, preseason friendly and uh he was in pregame mode and uh, was gracious enough to spend a few minutes with us uh to have a chat before the game and uh that was a a game where uh, we were able to take in and shoot some footage and uh, and and observe the team and they looked very 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 good that day and uh, there was a few players that stood out and some of those players we were able to have on uh, last week uh, some interviews that we shot that day as well so um, thanks to him and for the club for making him available and uh, the club is, is doing good uh, over there in Denmark as they are uh, aspiring and working every day to, uh, to, to achieve promotion at the end of this season, uh, back up into the first division, which is at technically the second level of Danish football. And, uh, so good luck to all of them over at FC Helsingor, uh, it seems to me that the project is, is well on its way and, and, and going in the right direction. Um, so getting back to where we were before we uh, went to break and, 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 to the interview with Morton, we were talking about 150 years of college football in, 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 in an actuality, when you study the history, you actually realize that it should be 150 years. Of college soccer, and then American football is probably about thirteen years away from uh, a formal uh, anniversary of one hundred and fifty years for college football. And why is it that American football, basketball, and baseball are sports that are bigger, more popular, obviously a lot more money invested here in the U.S. in those three sports than college soccer? And in, in American soccer, uh, the global game of football, why? Why are? Why is that game? So so far behind everything else and ultimately it 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 rests with the answer rests with leadership that's the ultimate uh aspect of that conversation leadership is is essential uh without leadership uh, the the second world war um doesn't have the outcome that it has that was leadership uh, and in the case uh, of World War Two, that was uh, American leadership stepping in and joining the leadership of, of, of Great Britain to ultimately uh, work together to to with Russia to stop Hitler and, and leadership change the course of history because it was not looking good. Um, leadership it is something that we see over and over again. There's no accident that the University of Alabama competes for national championships in football under Nick Saban. That's leadership. Now, you cannot like his style of leadership. You cannot like him personally. Uh, Fine. But you cannot argue that his leadership has had more consistent success than any other coach in college football history. It's leadership leadership is ultimately what is responsible for american soccer not reaching the levels of college football of american football, basketball, baseball. When we when we look at college football and they are claiming a 150 year anniversary, why is it so popular? Why why are states and cities across this country so captivated by the game of American football? Well, I believe one of the reasons is accessibility. And this is a principle that we talk about all the time. Access, opportunity is so important. Now, in college football, in in Major League Baseball, in the NFL, in the NBA, there is no promotion and relegation. So before all of you who are like, well, see, that's proof. We don't need promotion and relegation in American soccer because no one else is using it, and you see how popular they are. Well, let's look at apples to apples. Why is college football so big? It's not because there's only 30 teams that play college football or the top division of college football. As a matter of fact, uh, in, in looking at this and in, in understanding and kind of processing what access means, it, c- it can mean different things in different ways. And in the case of promotion and relegation, it is a built in mechanism that creates more than just access. It puts access on steroids and, and incentivizes investment. That's what that's. There, there are multiple levels to promotion and relegation access is one of them, but access then gets leveraged in an incredible way. And it becomes a vehicle that goes beyond even what, what we can manage, even with American college football. And I know that may sound extreme or really, really like I'm grasping at straws here, but just, just go with me here for a second. and You'll understand what I'm talking about in college football. That Division One, the football, uh, the FBS. So this is like your, you know, Ohio States, your Michigan's, your Alabama's, your Texas, Florida, Notre Dame. That level of college football that play in bowl games, etc. There's about 130 schools at that level. That's the top level of college football in the U.S. Okay. So there's about 130 schools at that level. At Division I FCS, which is the, the what, what used to be called 1AA, there's about 130 schools at that level. So technically that would be, like if you were looking at this uh, and compared this to the English pyramid, for example, the Premier League, instead of having 20 teams, would have about 130 teams. And the championship, which is Division Two in England, would have about the same number, about 130 teams at that level. And then Division Two in college football has about 168. It's over 160 teams at D2, and then you have teams at D3. So you're talking about hundreds of teams in the top four levels, basically going four levels deep. So access, this gives you the ability to cover a lot of ground to saturate the country with access. How does that play out? Well, across the four levels of college football, D1, D1, for for purposes of this conversation, D1, AA, D2, and D3, across those four levels of college football, In states like Alabama and Georgia, you have 20 schools across those four levels. In Alabama and Georgia, Florida, 21, California, 35, Nebraska, 14, New York, 48, Ohio, 44, Texas, 55. You starting to get the picture? In college football, having these schools all over the country that have access at different levels, D1, D2, D, D1AA, D2, D3, what, it, what has happened is, is that American football has created access across the country. And that access has created opportunities. Opportunities for cities, opportunities for players, opportunities for coaches, opportunities for revenue, all of these things build on themselves. So when we look at American soccer, we have major league soccer that only has access in American cities, only has access to about 20 ish. Cities, because you have two in LA, two in New York, and then you got three Canadian teams. So you're you're around twenty cities that have access to D1. Compare that to American football, over or right around a hundred and thirty cities, hundred and thirty colleges that have Division I football. It's probably not quite 130 cities because you'll have places like Los Angeles that has USC and and, and UCLA, etc. But you have uh, well over 100 cities across this country that have access to Division I college football. You have access to Division I AA at around 130. Access. So, college football doesn't have promotion and relegation built in. But what they do have is access in a different way. When we look at American soccer, we don't have access. We have 20, 22, low 20s. They're adding teams, they're growing but they're not getting to 160 to 130 to 100 anytime soon at division 1 at division 2 USL championship they're nowhere near reaching 130 And if you look at the, the, the product on the field and the operations that are taking place at Division 2, and you were to walk that down as a step-by-step level, USL at Division 2 is not really even operating at what, what should be Division 2. Most of the teams are, are operating at really more of like a Division 2.5 or, or even Division 3. And then at Division 3 you've got two different leagues competing at Division Three. now. You have USL League One and NISA, the National Independent Soccer Association. So you have an access problem in American soccer. So this is one big key element here as to why the sport has not grown. Why it's not reaching markets the way it should. Why it's, it's not accessing revenue in the way that it could. Because access is turned off. When, when you have to go beg a company to let you pay them $200 million just to get a team in the league, a franchise to buy an ownership stake in the league so you can operate a team in your city. That's a real quick way to shut off access. Now around the world access in the game of soccer, or as it's known around the world, football access is achieved through winning on the field. Now, there are other factors that go into place that help leagues protect themselves from an investment standpoint, from a revenue standpoint. For example, if you are a team and you just play in your local park, could you theoretically put together the best team in the world? Yes. A billionaire could go and pay, you know, the best players in the world, and play at a local park with poor amenities, and could he amass, theoretically, the best collection of talent on the, on the field in any competition? Yes. But as they win their way up the multiple divisions, these leagues have built in parameters that say, okay, if you're going to play, you're going to get promoted. You've earned that right. But by the end of your first year or your second year or your third year in the league, you've got to have these things in place. And what this does is help us protect our brand, help us position ourselves from, from a revenue standpoint, from a sponsorship standpoint, from, from a television contract standpoint. So you have to have these things in place by the end of year two or year three. So, You're getting in, your ticket into the door is on the field. But that local park is not going to work playing in the Premier League. So that's got to be up to par. So what happens along the way is the leagues below the Premier League also have standards that do the same thing, but at lower levels. And what it does is it gradually prepares a club as they're promoted to continue to build. It incentivizes them. So you're not only getting the access that we see in college football, but now you're getting incentives to invest into your stadium infrastructure, invest Into your programming, invest into your staff, into your players, etc. And with that comes access to higher levels and opportunities to earn more, to compete at a higher level, etc. So theoretically, yes, you could put together a team of the best players and play in Central Park in New York. But by the time you get anywhere near the premier league or the top league in America, if it's major league soccer and it was operated properly under FIFA governance, which it's not right now. And that's a part of what this conversation is all about. Then in that you would along the way, be building infrastructure in central park or be moving to another stadium somewhere in New York to be playing at a division one level, not in Yankee Stadium that 's an embarrassment, so when we look at access in college football, American football, and we see that there's a one hundred and thirty division one top level top line football teams, colleges in this country that 's access you have. Programs competing at the highest levels in these states, all across this country, players, coaches, etc., access, and that turns the lights on. How can we turn the lights on in this country? In American soccer, it's to create access and let the market speak for itself. These colleges and universities can be started anywhere, and they were a long time ago. And over these decades, more and more have reached higher levels and aspire to go up aspire. And and they have not had promotion and relegation, but they have had the ability to create a game plan, to raise the money and the funds and take a project on in, in, in that project for them being getting access to a higher level. And they go through the approval process and the sanctioning process. And so schools have made their way up a, a pyramid of sorts, not in a merit base. Like I won my championship in division two and now I'm playing one double A. It's not been that, but they have had the ability to move up. But more importantly, they've been able to build their programming and build their schools wherever they wanted to. In U.S. soccer, we have a federation that doesn't have a growth mindset. They don't have a growth mentality. So they're not going to the, to the masses and saying, here's access. Here's opportunity. Build this. Do this. And, and even without promotion and relegation, here's a plan. Here are the procedures. Here's how you get up to the next level. You, you, you pay this fee, you do this, you, even in that standpoint, which is not promotion relegation, but even if it was more of that, that college sanctioning style process, you would see more teams move up. But what you have is Major League Soccer, which is a company owned by its owner-operators of each of the franchises. Who have been granted cabal status at the top level of American soccer. And they, that company, picks who gets to join their club or not. So you can be worth billions of dollars like Rocco Camiso and not be allowed in. Even though you have more resources than most of the owners in Major League Soccer. You're not allowed in. These major league soccer franchises are only creating that type of value meaning the buy-in fee of 150-200 million dollars because of the fact that they have been allowed by US Soccer, i.e. poor leadership to extort cities and ownership groups through what I call artificial scarcity, meaning that U.S. soccer has allowed this company to sit on top of American soccer and and control access to the top. And by giving them the ability to control that access, they have created for Major League Soccer the ability to create an asset worth where they can charge a lot more than what it's worth. Rocco Camiso bought Fiorentina for the same price, the same level of pricing as a major league soccer franchise. It's not even in the same ballpark. An MLS franchise and Fiorentina are not even in the same ballpark. But in this case, they are because they get to squat on Division 1 status granted to them by US Soccer because of the inbreeding of leadership across the two. You have a company and a federation in bed together, scratching each other's backs and therefore making it difficult for anyone else to get in. Imagine if we had instead the opportunity for any club in America to make its way to the top. And because of our geography, just like in college football, we figured out a system that would allow, let's say, 80 clubs across this country to be playing at the same level within an American-style Champions League on top of it. So you had your Atlanta United's, but you also had your Las Vegas Lights and your Memphis's all at one level. But broken up geographically like college football and every year having 16 teams play in a an American-style Champions League on top of that 80-team level. Now you're turning access on across this country. And in short order, you are now creating access and opportunity in a way that this country has never seen. And the reason why we've never seen it is because of poor leadership. And that is ultimately our problem. Our federation just doesn't do its job. And it doesn't do its job in a way that really sets out to achieve its mission. They're more focused on the present and the things that they've experienced in the past and the things that are set up like well, we've got US, US, U.S. Youth Soccer, and we've got U.S. Club Soccer, and we've got U-Triple-S-A, and we've got this, and we've got this, and we got to figure out how to do all that and keep all the. rather than figuring out what's the solution. What's the best thing for American soccer? Let's do that. If you fit in that picture, great. If not, guess what? We have plenty of places for administration. We have plenty of places for people who are working right now, volunteers or paid staff in this country that work at U.S. youth soccer, U, U a, et etc that if the Federation did its job properly and those organizations did not exist anymore, those jobs would still exist, but maybe in a different way. Maybe they're directly with the Federation and not with a U.S. youth soccer or a U.S. club soccer. Instead, now they're part of the federation. So it's not that you're eliminating jobs. It's not that you're sending people out on the streets uh, and you're sending them home and you're saying, we don't want you involved anymore. It's no, it's saying we're involved together. We're working together. We're building this together. We're bringing together dozens and dozens and dozens of top teams into one system at the highest level. We're going to create access in the same way college football has, and we're going to have 80 clubs across this country in our highest level, and we're going to have a Champions League style set up above that, that 16 of those 80 teams are going to play in each and every year. And then below that, we're going to regionalize. And we're going to get all of these clubs, these youth clubs, these adult amateur clubs. We're going to get everybody in alignment together. And we're going to work towards one pathway for clubs. And that's going to let us scout better. That's going to give us more access. That's going to allow players that right now can't get in to get seen. That's going to give us our best chance at finding a whole team worth of christian pulisic talents it's going to give us the ability to find players all over this country that right now are are falling through the cracks completely unseen unscouted unknown This access and opportunity can change everything. And we've got to change our mindset first and foremost in order to get there. Because without it, we're going to be stuck in this rut asking the question, Why have we been around? Why is college soccer technically celebrating its 150th anniversary, not college football, and yet no one knows? That's what can change if we start to get things done the right way. And that begins and ends with... Leadership. Thanks for tuning in today, Tuesday, September the 3rd. As always, you can watch these shows on facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. We'll be back again tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks to Morton Esteson for joining us with F.C. Helsinger. Hope you had a great Labor Day weekend and uh, enjoyed all that the sporting world had to offer. There was a lot going on, and, um, hope you had hope you had some time to, to enjoy it with some friends family etc and uh and and look forward to uh, a good week this week we'll be back again tomorrow at 8 a.m eastern standard time goodbye everybody